everybody. My name is Sig Flop, and you are listening to Miscellaneous Radio Theater 4096 episode. Why well, I don't know what episode it is. It is. It's the next episode. In this episode, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about um, compilers. And in the next next episode, uh, compilers too. We're going to be talking about compilers for a few episodes because it's a uh, long subject. Uh, specifically how compilers work, how they relate to uh, complexity, machine complexity theory, and uh, and whatnot. And uh, so it's going to be fun. Um, the first episode, I just want to tell you what a compiler is, tell you the stages of it, pretty much. Uh, so let's, let's get started by telling you that a compiler is a program that takes a program in one language and converts it into the same program in another language. This could take a lot of forms. There are compilers that compile C++ to C, for instance, Fortran to Pascal, and all sorts of things. Uh, we're going to talk about a specific type of compiler that takes a human-readable program and converts it, compiles it, into something that's run in an actual machine. That is, we're going to take something that's in a high-level language, i.e. human-readable, and convert it into something that's low-level, i.e. machine-runnable. It's uh, kind of hard to conceptualize the difference between high-level and low-level languages, although you all know what the difference is, probably. But I like to talk about it because it leads into it leads into a deeper understanding of how compilers actually work. Um, I like to talk about brains uh, to to describe this difference between high-level and low-level, specifically the neurocortex. A great deal of neuroscientists and computer scientists have given the neurocortex a lot of thought because it's cool. <laughs> it's understood to be the place uh, where all understanding language occurs to be, the, for one thing. Um, there are a few things that are true about it. One is that it's flat. If you uncrinkle the neurocortex, it lays flat about the size of a dinner napkin. Um, not only is it flat, but it has different functional regions. There's a region for sight, there's a region for sound, and so on. Within those regions, there are subregions. There's individual region, for instance, of the neurocortex. There's uh, regions called the Broman, Broadman areas, and the extra straight areas, and so forth. I'm totally pronouncing those wrong. <laughs> um, there's a particular monkey brain, for instance, where we've mapped the areas of the visual cor- of the visual cortex, uh, which looks kind of like a big mesh. If you go to Google. And type Google uh, monkey brain neurocortex, monkey brain visual cortex, you'll probably find it. It's the monkey with the red face. And it does look like a big old mess. But if we sort it out a little, we find that a lot of the inner regional connections actually form hierarchies. The bottom of which is mapped to sensory inputs, um, and the top, taking less and less neurons, represent higher level knowledge about the world. Now, uh, sensory input is also mapped onto the neurocortex. Um, I should mention that. The right cool thing about this representation is all neurons are the same. Um, The neurons used for sound and language also um, could be the neurons, though not the exact same neurons, but the same hierarchical structure uh, for visual input. And... uh, um, the cool thing is that this hierarchical, um, this hierarchical formation that the brain uh, creates, the lower level 
representing sensory inputs, a higher level representing higher level knowledge. Information doesn't flow uh, just from the sensory input to higher level knowledge. Information flows backwards, and this is uh, what's thought to cause behavior. Uh, one behavior is talking and expressing ideas um, that are somewhat high level, but they have to be outputted in a low level through phonemes and speech and clicks and sounds. So the idea with compilers is you take a high level language, one that uh, has a hierarchical assumption about the world. In our heads, we tear it down into lower level regions in our brain, regions that are more concentrated with actually generating a linear stream that is written language. The stream of written language enters the compiler and like the brain, in an odd way, it builds higher level meaning into a higher structure that matches the assumption that our brain makes about the world. After that, it tears the information back down into lower level machine code in the same way that the, that behavior is, is created by having high level neurons uh, send information to low level sensor neurons. So it's kind of weird. In a theoretical way, brains and compilers aren't that different. In a practical way, they're very, very different. But in theory, there's some similarities there, which are which are pretty cool. So on to the stages of the of a whole compilation process. First stage, we have a preprocessor. Second stage, we have a lexical analysis. Third stage, we have a parsing stage. Um, fourth stage, we have semantic analysis. Stage after that, we have code generation. Stage after that, we have an assembly stage, then a linking stage, and then a run stage. In the run stage, we might have a runtime linker. Uh, these stages usually are parts of individual programs. Like the preprocessing stage is one program usually called the preprocessor. The lexical analysis, parsing, semantic analysis, and code generation stage is usually one program. This is the program that we're interested in. Uh, this program is called the compiler. Um, the assembly stage is usually a program called the assembler, and the linking stage is usually a program called, well, the linker. The preprocessor does macro expansion and whatnot. The compiling stage, well, it compiles. We'll talk about that in the next episode. The assembling stage produces the actual object, object file containing machine code of assembly source code. The difference between assembly and machine code is pretty minimal. Uh, most of assembly can be done through direct translation. Assembly is where we have instruction names like NOP instead of opcodes like hex 90. In the linking stage, uh, we do symbol relocation of object files. Up until this point, we're dealing with single object files. When it comes to the linking stage, we combine the object files together. We do this through symbol relocation and we create a single object, a single ELF file. So, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoy the next episode. Coming out soon, real soon. I hope real soon it'll come out. I swear, it'll come out real soon. Um, thanks everyone for listening. And if you want to email me, you can at pantsbutt at gmail.com. I enjoy comments, questions, and uh, um, anything else. Uh, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.